It's Nicky Ryan here, producer of The Explainer, and I want to jump in briefly before we begin this week's episode with a quick message on how you can support this podcast. At The Journal, we aim to bring you relevant, reliable and meaningful journalism. This podcast is just one example of that. We take a big topic, grab an expert and break it down piece by piece for you, making sure you stay well informed about the subjects that matter. We don't charge for this. And the same goes for articles, newsletters, roundups, everything else the journal creates. We believe it should be available to everyone, regardless of their ability to pay. We're asking our listeners to support us in this, so we can keep doing it and provide an independent voice in Irish media. More than 5,000 people have already stepped up. For the price of a cup of coffee a week, you can join them in helping us make more episodes like this one. Please go to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute and choose between a monthly or one-off donation. Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what type of tax system does Ireland have? This episode is proudly sponsored by Taxback.com. People often don't realise how much money they can actually claim back on tax, and for a lot of people, it can be close to €2,000 per year. To find out how much you could be owed, visit Taxback.com forward slash The Journal. Right, it's 9am on Wednesday the 28th of September as we sit down to record. It's the morning after Budget 2023 was officially announced. I say officially because really we knew the whole thing by last Sunday through media reports. As the country grapples with high energy bills and expensive shopping baskets, the government worked to put money back into households in a variety of ways. Tax credits, income tax ban changes, energy credits, social welfare increases and free provision of some services that were previously paid for by individuals and families. Over the next 12 or 13 months, Ireland will spend 11 billion on tax and spending measures in the hope of getting people through this period of high bills without succumbing to hyperinflation. Michael McGrath and Pascal Dunne had this money to spend because of a bumper tax take in the last year or so, mostly driven by corporation tax. But what does this tell us about our tax system? As we watch what's happening in the UK, where there seems to be fundamental shifts in how their economy is being run, we thought it would be a good time to take a minute to explore exactly what happens in Ireland. To do that today, I'm joined by economist at the ESRI, Barra Rowntree, who focuses his work on inequality, taxation, welfare and pensions policy. So you're exactly the right person to have in here today with us, Barra, as we look at Budget 2023 and scrunch our eyes and faces up as we look across the water to what's happening with Liz Truss's pound. Firstly, let's unpack Budget 2023, though. Will the majority of people in Ireland be better or worse off financially because of this? So pretty much everyone's going to be better off in cash terms from the changes we heard announced in yesterday's budget. But that picture is likely to be quite different after accounting for inflation, which the government are now forecasting at about 7% for next year, on top of almost 9% this year. Um, and so, so if we look at things in terms of after uh, inflation or adjusting for inflation, it's not going to be the case that everyone is better off. Uh, they, they might see more cash in their pockets, but that cash is going to be worth effectively less. And we're doing some analysis at the ESRI at the moment uh, to, to see what that's going to look like across the population as a whole, using some kind of survey data. But really, I think that the, there's kind of two different important strands looking at this. The first is that the lump sums and double welfare payments, which the government announced, they're going to be paid you know, in November um, and then again just after Christmas. And they're really going to do a lot to mitigate much of the rise in energy prices over the, the coming winter for, for a lot of households. So they won't insulate everyone from the entire price increase, but they're going to insulate a lot of people from a lot of it. But then next year, what we have is a situation where pretty much all welfare payments and tax credits and tax plans are going to rise by less than 
uh, forecast inflation. So there's only there's only one tax uh, threshold, the standard rate cutoff, the point at which you start paying the higher rate of income tax of 40 percent. That's the only one that's going to rise by above inflation. So what that in effect means, the fact that most of those bits of the system are are, are increasing in, in cash terms, but not by more than inflation, that's a real cut in those pay, uh, credits and payments. And that kind of comes across uh, on top, I should say, of, of some quite large cuts last year, because again, inflation, we were expecting it to be about 2% and it ended up kind of almost 9%. So what we're going to be in a position is that that while probably the changes announced in the government are going to do a lot kind of over the winter time, uh, once we get into kind of the latter bit of next year, if energy prices are still high, if they haven't kind of fallen off, then really people are going to notice that their incomes in real terms are are, are a lot lower than, than they were even this year. So my next question was going to be, and not asking you to preempt the work that you're doing with the ERSI right now, but who the big winners and losers of this budget are. It sounds like you might be saying that there are a lot of winners right now, but come next year and inflation, some of those winners might turn into losers. Kind of. So so the, the, the biggest winners, uh, if we think of this in a relative sense, the people who got kind of most from the budget are those who are getting one or more of the lump sums this winter. So again, the government announced <clears throat> that their claimants of certain welfare payments are, are going to get a, a once-off cash payment of between 200 and 500 euro. Um, we're going to see child benefit. Uh, there's going to be a double payment of that. There's going to be a double payment of most welfare payments as well. And, and, and so people who are getting going to get one of those lump sums and the double welfare payment and are also renting, particularly if there's you know two or more people in that household renting, they're going to get a new tax credit of 500 euro per year each year with what they'll get next year be also being backdated uh, to this. So they're going to be, I think, the, the relatively big winners in, in the sense that they're going to get quite a lot of money over the, the winter. And, and th- so they're probably going to do have done best out of the budget. A group who maybe, you know, isn't going to get so much out of the budget are those who are working part time, you know, at around the minimum wage or a bit above and who aren't entitled to any welfare payments. And the reason for that is, you know, even if they're renting, they're not going to get the rent tax credit, right? Because in order to get this new rent tax credit that's being introduced, you have to be paying income tax. And we already have a system where quite a lot of people don't pay a huge uh, amount of, of income tax on uh, lower levels of earnings. And so as a result, only people earning more than about 17,500 uh, a year are going to benefit from that um, um, new rental tax credit. So, so that means, again, people who are working less than 30 hours, say, in the minimum wage aren't going to kind of benefit from that. So there's kind of a, a group who maybe fall between the welfare and the tax system. They they will get some of those, um, they'll get kind of the energy credit along with anyone else, but they mightn't get necessarily much beyond that. Yeah, and people will have heard, I think, a lot of politicians talking about on the radio about those low income earners. So that's a good explanation of, of why they're being talked about a lot. You talked a little bit there about the income tax ban changes. Can we just go back to it? And can you explain in uh, as simple terms as possible exactly what has happened with the income tax bans and what kind of difference this will make and to who? Yeah, so, so the way that the Irish income tax system works at the moment is that you know, you have your taxable income, which for people in employment is effectively, you know, your, your, your full salary. You then calculate the first chunk of tax at 20%, the, the standard rate of tax. 
and then anything above what's called the standard rate cutoff is taxed at 40%. Then after you compute that calculation, you deduct what's called tax credits, and that gives rise to your ultimate tax liability. So that's that's kind of the structure of the system. And what the government have announced is that the standard rate cutoff, so that point at which you start paying the higher rate of 40% on additional income rather than 20%, that's going to go up from 36,800 a year to 40,000 a year for a single adult and kind of proportionally for couples who are married and assessed jointly together. So in effect, what that means is that you're going to pay on that chunk of income, that 3,200 increase in the standard rate cutoff, you're going to pay at 20% rather than 40%. So that's a saving of a kind of, you know, almost um, 800 euro or so. There's also then some changes to the tax credits there um, that you deduct at the end of your, um, uh, to, to give rise to your ultimate taxable income. They're going up a little bit by less than inflation. So that's also going to give rise to a bit of a change. So r- really, I suppose what, what you're going to see is that people who earn more than 40k are going to see a, a, a bit of a reduction in their income tax burden, even after you account for kind of inflation. People who earn less than that are going to see a little bit of reduction in the income tax that they pay, but also that the, their net of tax income is supposed to be worth less in, in real terms after accounting for inflation. And again, that's just because the tax credits aren't going up by as much of inflation. So they're worth less in real terms. They're worth less after accounting for the rise in prices. So this is one of the main ways the government are trying to put money into people's paychecks, even though it might be coming out the back pocket through higher prices because of inflation. That's right. Yeah. So what, what the government has, I think, really done—they they, they've kind of said they're going to, you know, adjust these tax uh, credits and and thresholds to let people keep a bit more of their income uh, after tax. And then on top of that, they're going to make then you know these three payments of two hundred euro each, one before Christmas, two after Christmas, to everyone, and then also have some more targeted uh, cash increases in, in in welfare payments. So that's kind of the the way the government have approached trying to compensate people in, uh, uh, from the rising prices and trying to protect them from that. And and, and there's a you know there's a degree of coherence and, and and sense to that to the extent that you instead intervene in terms of the prices. And if you try cap prices, there's a, a big risk that at, that ends up, I suppose, costing a lot more than you expect because you're essentially depending on what international prices, international gas and uh, prices in particular are, are going to be next year. But you also then dampen down the incentive for those who can to reduce their consumption. Whereas kind of the way the government are doing it is has a degree of sense around it in that you're, you're giving people money to account for the fact that the prices are higher. And again, really what it comes down to then is ultimately a political decision about how much you want to give people to compensate them for the higher prices and which groups you want to prioritise. Yeah, they're kind of the headline measures. Is there anything else in the budget that we should be paying attention to maybe that hasn't got the headline discussions that it should have? Yeah, so I suppose one of the things that wasn't really trailed or leaked in advance of the budget was a new concrete products levy. That was something that was announced by the government. And what this is going to be is a new tax levied on certain concrete products used in construction. So concrete blocks, poured and precast um, concrete products. What the government has said is that in order to part pay for the MICA redress scheme, which is the impact of the um, defective building materials in particularly Donegal but around the, the northwest, that in order to pay for that, what they're going to do is levy a 10% tax on the value of these concrete products. And I suppose what that's going to do in a time when we know that there are real issues of supply in the housing sector is it's going to make it more expensive to to build housing, uh, particularly you know, housing using these concrete products, which a lot of the houses built in Ireland would, you know, in terms of even foundations, and that's going to push up, I suppose, the cost of construction, and there is then a real risk, you know, that the ultimate 
burden of this tax will fall on the future inhabitants of newly built houses. So it's kind of a little bit difficult to maybe square that one with the objective of the government to you know ramp up supply of housing, because really what we should be doing, I suppose, and should be focused on is looking at how we can reduce the, the costs of building, because even, even at the moment, there's a lot, you know, a lot of construction is only really viable at a cost that people can't afford. So there's a real need to, kind of, I suppose, address the costs of construction, and this kind of goes a little bit in the opposite direction. So that's one thing I think we should be looking at, and, and I think we'll get a lot of attention in the months ahead. Just to move on to something else and something that we have talked about on this podcast before, and that's Ireland's absolute reliance on corporation tax income. In a similar way, we relied very heavily on stamp duty in the run up to the previous recession. Um, And so there are fears about our reliance on corporation tax take. Did this budget go any way towards addressing it? Or is it, like I said in my intro, that we had all this extra money to spend because of corporation tax and therefore we were able to do these things for households? So a bit of both. Um, So the government did say that what they're going to do is transfer a chunk of corporation tax revenues to what was the Rainy Day Fund and is now going to be renamed the National Reserve Fund. So it said it's going to put two billion of the corporation tax revenue into it this year and four billion next year. So if that's followed through on, that's you know that's a really welcome and, and sensible step. It's going to do something to reduce our our dependence and reliance on these corporation tax revenues, which you know have gone from about ten billion a few years ago to more than twenty billion today. Really rapid pace of growth. And again, what we know is that they're also paid by a very small number of companies. So revenue published statistics showing that more than fifty percent of these revenues are paid by just ten companies. But in reality we think it's likely to be even a subset of those ten companies who are really providing the bulk of those revenues. So we're in a way it's a it's a boon. It's great, right? That that we're getting all this additional corporation tax revenues as as a windfall. But it does mean we need to be careful about spending it because we're really vulnerable and I suppose at risk of if even, you know, if, if one or two of those companies change their business model or, you know, experience a downturn in, in the sales of their products and their profits, that could really feed through to our tax revenues, kind of in a similar way to the stamp duty, that, as well you mentioned in, in, in the previous recession, where we're really dependent on the sales of property and funding day-to-day spending. So it's a good thing to move away from that. However, we're, we're still, you know, we would have had quite a sizable deficit this year if we didn't have those corporation tax revenues. So the Department of Finance estimate that about 8 to 10 billion is their estimate now that of the excess or potentially temporary corporation tax receipts. So there are steps towards addressing that, but there's still kind of a lot more to go if we want to move away from being in a situation where suddenly a big hole opens up in the public finances if just on the, the actions of one or two companies. Wherever the money came from, Leo Varadkar has described this budget as a progressive budget. Is there anything that stands out to you as being particularly fair or then on the the opposite side, particularly unfair about that this budget? So, so again, the, the kind of the assessment of whether the budget is fair or pro, you know, fair is in the eyes of the beholder. But in terms of whether the budget is progressive, that's a kind of a technical description. And what that means is did lower income households benefit by more as a share of their income than higher income households. Now, the government have published some analysis looking at this, again, in kind of cash terms, and, and that's, that's kind of the basis for, for um, the, the Tonish's statement. And he, he's correct on that. In cash terms, as a share of disposable income, it does look like lower income households will get more than higher income households. But again, what, what, what we'll be doing at the ESRI this week is trying to look at the extent to which that's true after accounting for inflation. Um, and, and so we'll be publishing some analysis later on this week. The Irish tax system, I think it is worth saying, this is a point that uh, you know many, many particularly government um, members make regularly. The Irish tax system is quite a progressive one. And again, by that, what, what we mean is that the average tax 
paid as a share of your income rises as your income increases. So that's kind of the technical description of what do we mean by a progressive tax regime. And we do have quite a progressive tax regime, which does a lot to reduce the levels of inequality. So if you, if you look at the levels of inequality before taxes are counted for and benefits, we're kind of near the top. So in terms of if you just look at the, the income people get from employment or dividends or, 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 or any other kind of sort, private kind of source like that. But once you count for the taxes, and that really is the thing that moves us back down to the middle. And one of the reasons for that is, again, that we exempt quite a large share of income from income tax. And then also that USC actually has a very progressive structure. So, you know, it's got a, a number of different rates. You don't pay any on the first chunk of your income, then you start to pay it at 2%, and then those rates kind of increase. So the two of those features really combine to give what is actually a very progressive tax system. And then, you know, how progressive that system should be is, again, really kind of in the eye of the beholder and, and, and a matter for politicians and political debate. Why is it important to have a progressive tax system? Well, so it can be important in terms of, I suppose, twofold. One is funding the country. If, if you didn't have a very progressive tax system, you mightn't raise enough revenues to deliver the services, uh, public services that, that you're seeking to. Another one then is really about, I suppose, the levels of inequality. And again, this kind of comes back down to people can have completely legitimate different views about the level of inequality that might exist in society and people that's a, down to kind of people's fundamental personal preferences and, and the like. But the progressivity of the tax system is really an important determinant of how equal we are after, in terms of incomes, after you account for, for tax and welfare. So, so that's really kind of, I suppose, one of its big key roles is so both raising revenue to pay for the levels of public services and then also determining the levels of income inequality. Generally speaking, uh, I'm thinking of this question because I'm thinking of, say, um, a lot of the talk after the Italy election last week was about how Italy was a high taxation country. Would we be seen as a high tax country or a low tax country or somewhere in the middle? Kind of somewhere in the middle. We're not far off the average. So if you're look to look at these things in terms of the, the tax raised as a share of uh, national income and using Ireland's case are, are kind of preferred measure of national income, this GNI star you sometimes hear about. So if you look at it in terms of that, Compared to other advanced economies, other OECD members, we are not far from the average. And so we're kind of, you know, neither look like a particularly high tax or low tax country. But there are some kind of quirks in where we raise that taxes. So, uh, and, and, and that, I suppose, is, is what maybe sometimes gives rise to people saying that we look a bit like a low tax country. Because again, in terms of income tax, you don't pay much income tax at average levels of earnings. And, and that, again, goes back to, I suppose, our progressive income tax system, that we have a, 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 a income tax system which doesn't necessarily take a huge amount from people with very low incomes, but then that starts to kind of ramp up quickly as you move up the income distribution. There's been a lot of talk about introducing a new tax band at 30%. What would that do to Ireland's tax system? Would it make it more or less progressive? So ultimately, it wouldn't do, I suppose, a huge amount. It's kind of a, quite a small, really, bit of tinkering around the edges. Um, it would make the system a little, you know, depending on how it was implemented, it could make the system actually a bit uh, more, a little bit less progressive. It depends where you set uh, the bands. But, it, you know, it, it's kind of, if you want to think about it in terms of the way it was described before the budget or what was being sought, was it was essentially something quite similar to the increase in the standard rate cutoff. So what, what they did was to increase the point at which you start to pay the 40% rate of income tax from up to, to 40,000 for a single adult. They could have done that with a 30% income tax rate either, where essentially then it would, you know, it would have meant the difference being that in, instead of going from 20 to 40% on any additional earnings above a certain point, you go from 20 to 30 and then to 40. So in a way, there's a lot of discussion around it, but it's not a particularly big change. 
at the levels it was kind of being talked about, it was kind of tinkering around the edges, and it wouldn't make a huge difference to 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 really either the amount of money that people were were taking home, or really the work incentives, which I suppose was the other thing that was being discussed about. It actually, you know, it's unlikely to have, given what we know and research about how people respond to taxes, it wouldn't really have much of an impact on people's decisions to work. And so, you know, again, it was a relatively minor, I suppose, tweak to the system rather than anything fundamental. You talk there about the quirks of the Irish tax system. What are some of those more unique elements of what we have here? So we're a little bit different, um, I suppose, in terms of the amount of money that we raise from taxes on uh, capital income from land, from property. We raise a bit less than uh, kind of other European countries in, ter- in terms of those taxes. But really, one of the areas where we really stand out is we're quite unusual in the large share of expenditure that we uh, exempt from VAT entirely or apply a zero or reduced rate of VAT. So with the departure of the UK from the EU, we're now the only country in the EU to really do that substantially. And and so, you know, if you want to, a, a, you know, a contrast would be Denmark, where they have a single rate of VAT and apply that to pretty much everything. Whereas in Ireland, we have, you know, a number of rates, we have the 23% rate of VAT, we then have a number of different reduced rates of VAT, we have a 13.5, we have a 9, and we also have kind of a 5. And then we have a, a lot of consumption that we entirely exempt or zero rate from VAT. So that really is somewhere where we kind of stand out from other European countries. That's typically justified in kind of distributional grounds, for example, saying, well, we don't want to put VAT on food. But really what you actually end up doing there is giving the biggest tax break to the higher income households uh, who spend more in cash terms on food. Uh, and, and so it's it's not a particularly effective way of redistribution if that is the, the, the rationale for it, which, which is often the rationale given. And again, I think the, the, the case of Denmark kind of shows that actually you can design things differently. You could have a uniform VAT rate and then compensate households through, you know, you know, by allowing them to keep more of their ta- um, their take-home income after tax by having higher um, welfare payments. So it, that's kind of one of the ways that we actually look quite different from a lot, lot of European countries, um, alongside, again, the, the lower share then of, of revenues that we get from uh, land, property and, and capital, and as well as then the relatively large share of uh, earners that we exempt, uh, large share of earnings, I should say, that, are, that we don't apply income tax to at the bottom of the distribution. When we're talking about how our tax system works and what can be done with it, are our political parties, generally speaking, on the same page about what kind of system we should have? And if they were in government, could there be drastic changes to it depending on who the main party is? Yeah, so there aren't, I think, as huge differences maybe in other countries. So, you know, we just have to look across the water and see what's going on in kind of Britain last week to see that there's very radically different views of, I suppose, the role of the tax system there. If you want to kind of broadly describe it, I think I think you can maybe say that um, Sinn Féin and uh, Labour have said they want uh, those on higher levels of income to pay more tax. Fine Gael maybe can be contrasted with that. They're kind of uh, often talk about increasing, say, again, the higher rate uh, where you start to pay the higher rate of tax. So there's a bit of a difference there. But again, it really isn't, I suppose, as big as you see in a lot of European countries. And, and a lot of the parties really kind of come down in a, in a broadly similar space um, to that. There are differences and real differences, but they're maybe not as dramatic as, as, as we do see in some other countries in, say, the US or the UK um, or even in, you know, in, in other European countries. Yeah, let's turn to the UK for a second, because obviously we're having, you know, our our budget at at the same time that their mini budget change to a maxi budget change to, you know, a a huge fiscal event there. Um, There was a lot of talk about trickle down economics and the US president kind of weighed in. Uh, Liz Truss said she wasn't he wasn't weighing in on what she had just done, but she's doubling down on on a 
on that policy. Can you just explain what we mean when we say trickle-down economics? Yeah, so it, it possibly means a little bit different things to different people, but I think kind of behind that or unifying those uh, um, slightly different tweaks in it is that a general sense that if you cut taxes for people at the top of the income distribution, they'll generate employment and growth that will feed through to others, leaving everyone better off. That's maybe kind of the, in a broad sense, by why, what's meant by it. Um, although, again, people maybe will describe, some people will describe some things as trickle-down economics that uh, uh, others wouldn't. So there's maybe a bit of difference in how encompassing people see that, but that's, I think, the general idea behind it, what people are talking about there. And by scrapping the top rate of tax, that 45% tax uh, that had uh, been a part of the UK tax system, is that what she is looking at doing? Yeah, that seems to be her kind of explicit motivation, her and her chancellor's explicit motivation for for that change. So again, what, to explain what kind of happened there, you know, we have a, a standard and a higher rate of income tax of 20 and 40 percent. In the UK, they have that. And then they also have for incomes above £150,000 per year, a additional rate of 45%, which was scrapped in, in their uh, um, mini budget, uh, turning into maxi budget last week. And so really the impacts of that, I think, are going to be, there's going to be lots of people shifting their income around over time and from uh, uh, in particular. So what we saw when this measure was actually introduced previously, um, this new rate uh, of 45% uh, uh, tax rate, that previously when that was introduced, what we saw was a lot of people bring forward income to try avoid it. What we're going to see now is the opposite. We're going to see a lot of people holding back income for a year because they pre-announced that they're going to introduce this uh, uh, next year, this cut. So we're going to see a lot of people kind of, if they can, push their bonuses into next year or if, you know, they, uh, company owner managers maybe keep money in the, the company till next year and then pay it out as dividends. So we're going to see a lot of kind of income shifting activity like that. We'll see a little bit more of a rise in economic activity, but not a huge amount. So there, there isn't really much to back up in terms of research, the idea that such an income tax cut is going to lead to a big increase in uh, economic activity and so growth. The re- research really doesn't suggest that. And and something that we will see, and this is what the IMF actually came out and, and noted um, quite strongly, was um, as well as kind of the, the, I suppose, fiscal risks of having a big unfunded tax cut like this, uh, which is financed by more borrowing, what the measure really will do is increase levels of income inequality. Um, so that, you know, the, again, the, the, it, it's unlikely to be particularly successful in terms of its stated aim of boosting economic activity. There's going to be, we'll, you know, we will see a bit of a rise in income declared next year, but that's going to be largely because people are actually shifting income around rather than that there's this big boost in economic activity. So really the, fe- the effect of it isn't, isn't going to be a whole lot in terms of economic activity. And what it will lead to, though, is much higher, uh, is, is increased inequality. Is that why the markets have balked at this? Because there is no evidence to back up the theory that economic growth will happen because of lower tax rates? Well, I think just the scale of the tax cuts that they announced and they, you know, and and all to be financed by borrowing with the anticipation or more so hope that will lead to increased economic activity isn't particularly credible. And I think that's why there was such a reaction in the markets in terms of the increase in the cost of government borrowing, also in terms of people trying to move their money out of pounds uh, sterling and so therefore seeing a change in the uh, fall in exchange rate there. Um, So yeah, it's really about kind of the long run sustainability of that position that just given the scale of those tax cuts announced, and that that 45% one actually wasn't the largest in terms of uh, what was announced. So much larger were the, they said they're going to cut the standard rate of income tax from 20 to 19% and also then cancel a whole bunch of tax increases that had been planned in terms of their equivalent of PRSI and, and also corporation tax, 
which were going to be paying for additional spending, particularly on social on, on, on care, social care and, and, and kind of later in life care. And that those have been announced by Boris Johnson and uh, Rishi Sunak. So it was really the, the fact that such a big gap opened up in their spending plans. People don't don't buy that it's credible. It will lead to growth. It might lead to you know a bit of a once-off hit or a sugar rush, just again with people rearranging their activities, but not sustained levels of growth. And so, really, yeah, that that that's really why I think people can say, well, ultimately, this isn't a sustainable situation, and so that's what where the uncertainty and and uh, really is around that. It is an interesting time to be an economist, Barra. Uh, we'll be covering the RSI look at the budget on Friday so people can come back to the journal for that. And also you were part of the Commission on Taxation. So if people did want to read a bit more deeply into the thoughts of you and your colleagues on what we should be doing with our tax system, they can check out the uh, executive summary of that, which is available online. Um, thanks very much, Barra, for coming in and explaining all of that to us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Barra for his expertise today. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Nikki Ryan and Aoife Barry, as well as Michelle Hennessy. It has been proudly sponsored by Taxback.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us so we can continue to make more just like this one. There's a couple of things you can do. Head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber or make a one-off donation. And you can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a great way to make sure other people will listen and love it too. Thank you and catch you next time.